welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm excited. I'm excited to worship our King and our Savior with you uh, this morning. Do me a favor. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat real quick. Keep your, keep your legs warmed up. I'm have you stand back up for us to read the word in a second. Um, but before we do that, um, I just wanted to make a quick announcement uh, for all of our, our church family, both here uh, in attendance and for all of you watching at home. Uh, as you know, obviously we have been apart for uh, quite some time now. Um, and as we begin uh, to start slowly reopening and uh, getting opportunities to get face to face and see one another, uh, one of the things that we are doing um, next Sunday, July 11th, uh, is we are going to have a family fun day, right? Y'all don't want to clap for that? That's Amen. Fam family, family fun day. So we, we want to create an opportunity for us to get together in person, have some fun, do it safely. Uh, and so we plan this family fun day. Uh, it's going to be outdoors at Franklin Square, which is down at 6th and Race Street. Right? Y'all know where Franklin Square is. Uh, and it's going to be next Sunday, July 11th at 2 p.m. So you can join the virtual gathering and then jump in your cars and meet us uh, down there. And listen, this Family Fun Day is open to everybody, right? Uh, it's open to adults, kids, teens, families, individuals, no matter what stage of season of life you find yourself in. We want you to come down and join us. And so if you feel comfortable, we pray that you do. Uh, even if you still want to wear your mask, if you've been vaccinated, unvaccinated, like as long as you don't, you don't have COVID, amen, somebody, we want you to meet us down there so we can have an incredible, incredible time. Entry uh, onto Franklin Square is free, but there are some paid activities like mini golf. Uh, there's a carousel. Uh, there's a, a snack a little vending shop there. Uh, but there will be free water ice. Uh, we're going to have a spades tournament. Um, amen. Let's keep that sanctified. I feel I felt my spirit rising up within me already. Um, uh, and, and there's going to be a, a lot of other fun activities. So we really, really want you guys to come out. Uh, you can sign up to come to this Family Fun Day on the Church Center app. So if you don't have the Church Center app, make sure that you download it. And then right underneath the Sign Ups tab, you'll be able to register. That way we can have at least a generalized headcount to know how many people are coming, how many people we need to prepare for. So we're excited about this opportunity. We pray that you're excited too to get an opportunity to see some of your family that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, and we're going to have a great, great time. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me, uh, if you don't mind? Uh, you guys know we are in the book of Hebrews. We are in the book of Hebrews as we continue on our in our Greater Than series. I want you to meet me. Hebrews chapter 9. 
chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. Uh, and just for uh, a little clarification, or just so you guys are in the know, we'll kind of be jumping around this week and next week um, as Pastor Vernon Mobley was prepared to preach this week, but they are on baby watch right now. Uh, him and sister, our dear sister Pascal. Uh, so keep them lifted. If you know their story and their testimony, the Lord has brought them a mighty long way to get to this point. Amen. So, so be praying for them uh, and prayerfully we'll, we'll hear some, some really exciting news in the next few days. Amen. Amen. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 beginning at verse 11. I'm going to read it for your hearing if you can follow along with me. Um, and then we'll, we'll get on into the word. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come or are coming in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. I just want to tag our text for this morning, for this morning if it had not been for the blood. If it had not been for the blood. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to stand before your presence fact that we can even say that, that we are in your presence, says something great about what Jesus has accomplished. The fact that we have been given the invitation, the welcome to enter into your presence, into relationship with you, says much about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so today, oh Father God, and every day we make much of him because without him, we would be restricted from the very presence that we find ourselves in now. So help us to be mindful of that, to live in light of that reality every single day of our lives. Because what he has done has given us the ability to serve the living God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our might. So God, we pray that your name would be glorified. The name of your son, Lord Jesus Christ, would be glorified this day. And your people would be edified by your grace and for your glory, God, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If it had not been for the blood. You know, there, there's a important piece of personal information about yourself that, that everybody needs to know and for some reason most people are unaware of. And, and knowing or not knowing 
this information could either fast track you to getting the assistance you need or render you aidless. And, and if you happen to find yourself in the type of situation where, where you're losing more blood than your body can reasonably afford to give up, then you would be in desperate need of a blood transfusion. And, and if you find yourself in need of a blood transfusion, then it is absolutely critical that you know your blood type. Now, the, the, most, the eight most common blood types are A, positive and negative, B, positive and negative, O, positive and negative, A, B, positive and, 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 and negative. And, and because of how our bodies work, it's important for us to know what our blood type is so that we can know what type of blood we're able to receive. Because there are very specific ways that blood types must be matched for a safe transfusion. The right blood transfusion can mean the difference between life and death. If, if you're type A, you can receive type A blood or type O blood. If you're type B, you can receive type B blood or type O blood. If you're type O, you can only receive type O blood. If you type AB, you can receive type AB, AB, and O. Now, if you're a sinner, somebody get that on the way home. If having the right kind of blood is necessary for saving your life, then surely having the right kind of blood is critical for saving your soul. All I'm trying to say is that there can be deadly consequences for using just any old type of blood and expecting it to save you. Here, one of the things I want you to take home with you this morning is that Jesus' blood carries with it eternal consequence. Look, look what he says in verse 11. He says, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that's, that is not of this creation. Now, when he begins this verse and he says, but Christ, what he's doing is that he's showing that, that what he's about to say stands in sharp contrast with everything he's expounded upon in verses 1 through 10. Primarily that, that this earthly sanctuary, verse 9, this earthly sanctuary that the old covenant used where they had to go in and, and, and slaughter animals and perform rituals, that, that, that this old sanctuary, this earthly sanctuary provided no access to God through its ministrations. So out at, of at, 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 at all the things that the priests were doing, out of all the things that the people were doing, through all the things that they were required to do in the tabernacle, none, none of it gained them access to God. And then he gets first to verse 11, and he says, but Christ appeared. Verse 9 and 10, what he does is he reveals that the reason why the earthly sanctuary remained unavailable in terms of access, providing access to God, was because of its sacrifices. It wasn't just that the sanctuary, what the sanctuary was and what was transpiring during that time, it was primarily because of what was required as a sacrifice that could not accomplish 
what was necessary and to order us into or usher us into relationship with God. And so he begins to transition from the start of this chapter to the point that we are now in verse 11, where he goes talking about the sanctuary and the role of the sanctuary to, to talking about the sacrifice and the role of the sacrifice and how the insufficiency of the old sacrifices anticipates the adequacy of Christ's sacrifice. And so the pastor has Finish describing in verses 1 through 10 how the repetitiousness of the sacrifices of the old covenant brought no access to God. Remember, he says, he says they had to get up every day, and they had to do it over and over, and they had to do it every year. The same sacrifices every time to wash away the same sins every time, and that repetition did absolutely nothing. Can you imagine having to do the same thing over and over again for a purpose that still doesn't serve a purpose? But here, the pastor, he's not just concerned with the compare and contrast of the old covenant, the requirements of the old covenant, and what Christ uh, uh, is doing or how Christ relates to it. What he's concerned about is what Christ has accomplished that his predecessor could not accomplish. And so he says when, when Christ appears as a high priest, he says that, that there are good things that have come or that are coming. And what he's referring to is that, that what, what Christ was able to accomplish because of what his sacrifice did, there is a reality now that we live in that was not available prior. Primarily meaning that there is a present cleansing from sin and a future entrance into the heavenly homeland that are on the table that were not on the table before. And, and these two ideas are inseparable. There is no such thing as not being cleansed and also gaining entrance. Either you're cleansed and there's entrance or you're not cleansed and there's no entrance. And, and, and so, so, so what the, the author is doing is he wants his people to focus on the reality that not only do they need to be cleansed, but they need to be cleansed for a purpose, which is entrance into God's heavenly homeland, not just so you can be in the location, but so you can be with him. Remember what we said in, in chapter two when he's, he says, I, that's why I want you to pay all the more attention to what I'm going to say. And, and the, the reason that he's urging his listeners to pay more attention is because he is wanting to ensure and make sure that what they do here on earth has eternal consequence. So he says that, that, that Christ came and, and brought with him these blessings and, uh, and, and, and it was done in a greater or more perfect tabernacle or a tent, right? And, and, and what he's doing is he's contrasting the old tabernacle with the new tabernacle and he's or, or not the new tabernacle but with the the heavenly tabernacle and he's saying that the heavenly tabernacle is far more superior because remember the earthly tabernacle was built as a copy right that the copy can't be greater than the original right and, and the reason that it's more superior is not because of its location but because it's where the presence of God dwells 
He says that that's what makes this heavenly tabernacle so incredible that that what Christ did when he showed up on the scene and accomplished what he accomplished and then went to the heavenly throne. He he said what he was able to accomplish and bring to us in this tabernacle. It means something different because what they were doing on earth was just a copy. It was just a, a symbol. It was a shadow of what needed to take place in the heavenly realm. And so what Jesus did in the heavenly tabernacle was what they were hoping what they were doing in the earthly tabernacle would accomplish but it but it says that that jesus he 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 shows up as high priest of the good things that have come in in a greater more uh, uh, and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands and then verse 12 it says and he entered the most holy place once for all time now now this 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 would have uh brought to the listener's mind the, the reality of the Day of Atonement, where the priest would go in, the high priest would go in and offer sacrifices to God year after year, but it was patterned after what was already supposed to be happening in the heavenly places through Christ. And so what it says is that, that Jesus showed up once and went into the most holy place and offered once for all time. Now remember... Comparatively, the high priest from the earthly tabernacle had to do this year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, offering goats, offering calves, offering bulls, offering lambs, offering incense, offering grain, offering wine, year after year, month after month, year after year, generation after generation, and what they could not accomplish in all of that time, Jesus showed up and did one time. He did it one time. And it says not not just once, but once for all time. So so their minds would have gone to the to the day of atonement and and and, and the repetitious nature of the day of atonement. And so so what they would have to do is that after shedding blood on the altar, the high priest would carry it into the most holy place. Right. And, And before they had before they could go in, they had to make sure that they were they they were cleansed. And purified. And so before they went into the most holy place, there were a number of things that they had to do that had to transpire before they could even go in with this blood. And then once they got into it, into the most holy place, they had to stand and they had to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat that's that's above the ark. And and, and, and so so but but look what it says. It says that Jesus went into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Meaning that, that, that Jesus didn't have to carry anything in with him but himself. Jesus was able to walk in to the most holy place, the most holy of holies, by himself, with himself, because he was the sacrifice. And, 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 and guess what? Guess what else? Instead of sprinkling blood onto the throne of God, guess what he did? Remember chapter 1? It says that he got there and he sat down. And and so where where the high priest had to sprinkle blood on the copy of a throne, the symbolic nature of the throne, Jesus actually walked into the the most holy place in eternity, in the presence of the eternal God, and he sat down at the right hand of him where he belonged. And, and, And it says 
that because of this, he earned or he obtained an eternal redemption. Now, now, now this, this eternal redemption is very different than the purification of the flesh that's mentioned earlier in the chapter. And again, he's doing that compare and contrast where he's showing you, see, when, when you used to sprinkle or when you used to sacrifice the bulls and the goats and the calves, all you did was an outward purification. All, all, all you did was a ritual purification that, that really only had temporal consequences. And there's a difference between what Christ did, we can see, because what he's accomplished is so much greater than the temporal consequences because it says he obtained an eternal redemption. And this word for redemption signifies the pain of a price in order to obtain freedom from bondage for those who are redeemed. Now, this word, again, the, the imagery here is crazy, especially for those who are uh, the, the people of Israel, because you, you, you know that the pastor is writing uh, to Israelites, to the Jews, because there are certain words that he says that he doesn't have to explain, but he knows it's going to take their mind somewhere. And so when they hear that word redemption, they're going to think about when Jesus freed them from bondage when he freed them from slavery, when he delivered them from Egypt. And, and whereas the oppression under Pharaoh had prevented God's people from serving him in the promised land and God had to redeem them from that promised land, Christ has now obtained a redemption that delivers them from something far more deeper and more insidious. He says, he says, he says I, what Christ has redeemed you from? Now, now again, you, you, you have to think about this. From a Jewish perspective, from a Jewish perspective, the, the, the deliverance from bondage in Egypt was the pinnacle point of their relationship with God. Everything that they did pointed back to the, the relationship that was developed with them and God when he delivered them from Egypt. Now imagine what that day means, what that point in time in your history means, and then take into consideration that the writer here, the pastor, is saying that what Christ has redeemed you from is far more consequential than just not being a slave no more. It's far more consequential than just getting your own land and being able to worship me. Who cares about all that stuff if you're still in sin and separated from me? Who cares about all that stuff if you can't please God because you have a mind that's hostile to God? That because your mind is set on the things of the flesh, Romans chapter 7. He says, he says that, mind, that a mindset that's set on the flesh cannot please God. He says, who, who, who cares about redemption from physical things if you're separated from me? Now, it's not that God doesn't care about you being redeemed and freed and liberated from some physical things in this life, right? I, I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to be free from sin, that God doesn't want you to be free from sickness, that God doesn't want you to be free from some things, right, some strongholds. But what he's saying is, what does that matter if you're separated from me? It still leads to the same result. And so he says, he says, 
that, that when Jesus entered the holy, the most holy place once for all time, not by some other blood, but by his blood, he obtained this eternal redemption. And the price of eternal redemption was so costly beyond measure, it could be obtained by nothing less than the once for all self-offering of the eternal son of God. What else would there be to offer to obtain eternal redemption than the eternal son? who lived a perfect life of obedience and went to the cross. Jesus' blood carries with it eternal consequence. Not only that, but Jesus' blood allows him to serve as both mediator and sacrifice. It allows him to serve as both mediator and sacrifice. Now, the pastor has already established the fact that the sacrifices of the old covenant could not cleanse the heart and bring God's people into his presence. And so what, what he does as he writes this letter, this book of Hebrews, is he exposes the inability of the Levitical system to achieve its purpose even when correctly practiced. Did y'all get that? Even when they do everything that God had commanded them to do that was required of the law, it still falls short. Even when they sacrifice the bulls and goats, even when they sprinkle the blood on the altar, even when they enter into the most holy and rub it on, 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 on the Ark of the Covenant, all of that, you can do all of that perfectly. And guess what? It's still going to fall short. Still not enough. Because, because here, here, here's the thing. Sometimes we can feel like we're entitled to live in God's presence. Like, like, you know, we, we, let's, let's be real. We, we can, all of us got, all of us got a little Creflo dollar in us. And if you don't think you do, you lying. It's the very reason why you think because you had a good devotional time this morning that you think nothing should happen wrong in your day. It's exactly why when you spent all week serving the church and God's people, and then people, and, and then somebody offends you, you get mad at God because you felt like that you were doing everything he called you to do, so you shouldn't have to go through nothing. It's a reason why you get bitter when you get a bad report from the doctor. It's a, it's, it's a reason why you, you're irritable when your finances don't align the way you thought they should. When that bill came in the mail that was unexpected, and you thought you was going to spend your money on some recreational stuff. It's the reason that we go through all this disappointment is because we expect some things that we think we deserve from God no matter who or what we're doing. But he says, he says, he says, verse 13, he says, for, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the young cow, the young heifer sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who without blemish to God, cleanses our consciousness? And so again, he's, he's inferring this day of atonement sacrifice where the high priest would offer a calf for himself and a goat for the people. And what they would do is they would, they would take the ashes of the young cow, the heifer, and they would mix it with water and they would sprinkle it on the unclean people. And this was a central place in the Levitical uh, purification rituals. But, but what the pastor here is doing is 
He's saying, regardless of whether we're talking about the sacrifices given on the day of atonement, whether it's the calf for the high priest or the goat for the people or the, the ashes sprinkled in water and, or mixed with water and sprinkled on those who are unclean, the whole sacrificial system was restricted to outward purification and did absolutely nothing for the heart. Could do absolutely nothing for the heart. But, but, look, what he, but look what he says. Look, look what he says takes place, though. He says, how much more, if that's just for us, uh, uh, the purification of the flesh, how much more, if Christ's sacrifice is greater, which it is, how much more then, through the eternal spirit, that, that Christ offered himself without blemish to God, what does it accomplish? If the one only was for outward purification, and this is a greater sacrifice, then what takes place through this sacrifice? Well, he says, he says that through this sacrifice of this unblemished self-offering, our consciences are cleansed from dead works so that we can serve the living God. He, 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 says, he says our consciences are cleansed, right? Now, the pastor's not referring to the physical substance of God's blood per se, but he's referring to what Christ did when he offered himself in obedience as God's unblemished sacrifice. That word unblemished can mean without fault or blameless and was often used to describe the type of goats and bulls that were necessary to sacrifice before God. But here in the incarnate obedient Christ, he offered himself without moral blemish. As he obeyed Jesus in every way and fulfilled the law. And so look, look, what, look what happens. It says by, by cleansing God's people from sin, the blood of Christ does a number of things. It delivers from the wrath of God. It enables us to enter into true sanctuary, the true sanctuary of God's presence. And it empowers us to walk in obedient fellowship with him. Now, 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 now the, look at the description of of the nature of this cleansing, right? First, it describes what is cleansed, our conscience. Meaning that, that any, any cleansing that does not deal with a hard, evil, unbelieving heart will suffice. The only way to be cleansed is to deal with the heart. That's why Ezekiel chapter 36 says that he's going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So that no longer will you have to tell your neighbor to keep the law because the law will be written where? On our hearts. And then second, he lets us know what, what that cleansing, what, what we, uh, from which it's been cleansed. We've been cleansed from dead works. Not referring to the rituals of the old covenant, but to the sin from which those rituals could not cleanse the inner person. The, the rituals were not sinful, but the sin that the rituals were trying to remove is what was calling the separation. And so here he's saying that we have been cleansed from the dead works that required the rituals. But now because Jesus Christ has performed the only sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, there's no longer a need for the rituals because the cleansing has already taken place. And then he then it says that the third thing that happens is the positive result of the cleansing, meaning that we get to serve the living God. 
Like, it, like there's, there's, we're not passive recipients in this play. There, there's, there's, there's purpose to what takes place when we have been cleansed, when our minds have been cleansed, our hearts have been cleansed, and we go from dead to alive in Christ. Guess what? It's so you can serve the living God. See, you thought that you got saved just so you could, get, so, so God could give you some gifts that you could use for yourself and monetize. You, you thought that you got saved just so you, you could worry about having fire insurance. You, you thought that you got saved just because you like being around church folk and you like the music and, and you, like, you like hearing some good preaching. He says, no, you've been saved to serve the living God. He says that, that, that inner cleansing results in spiritual transformation and an obedient life that's in reliance to God. That's what happens when, you, when you've been cleansed, when you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Is there's a spiritual transformation that takes place. And then guess what is produced in you? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so you, you want to know the first warning signs that should pop up, one of the first red flags that should pop up on your radar? Uh, 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 if, you're de- if you're wondering whether or not you've been cleansed, is do you have the fruit of the Spirit? That's the ID card of every believer that gives you access. And if there ain't no fruit, then I need to see a different ID. <laughs> Jesus' blood allows him to act as both mediator and sacrifice. That Jesus, Jesus, unlike the priest's under the old covenant, they had, to, they had to sacrifice something else and carry it in with them as they mediated on behalf of the people and then offer that unblemished sacrifice to God in an act of worship. Jesus, on the other hand, brings himself and his own sacrifice, which was his life at the cross, and he mediates for us because of his own blood. Lastly, Jesus' blood secures for us an eternal inheritance. You know, the cold covenant may not have been able to cleanse the heart, but, but it did expose the true nature of sin as unbelief and disobedience springing from an evil heart. And apart from Christ, the condemnation of the broken covenant described uh, earlier in chapter 8 continues to threaten the people of God. But what, what that means is that, that God's people who come after Christ are endangered by the same unbelief and disobedience that characterize the wilderness generation. That that Christ's coming has only intensified the condemnation of the old covenant on those who reject God's grace. Remember we talked about that in chapter 2 when, it, when, when we talked about like how, how do you get more a more sure consequence from an already guaranteed consequence? He said, they're, they're, like, that's how greater the condemnation is for, for those who come after Christ because his sacrifice was so much greater. Is that there's a, there's a greater judgment coming for those who reject Christ than the absolute judgment that was coming for those who already didn't work, uh, believe God's law. And what the pastor does here is he uses the word transgression to underscore the deliberate character and the seriousness of these disobedient acts. Because, you know, sometimes we can act like our sin is just passive. 
Like, we, it, like, like our sin is just, we're just unaware of, our, of all of our sin, right? And he's saying, no, 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 no. This, he's saying the, the transgressions that Jesus came to uh, 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 save you from are, are, are not just the ones that you don't know about, but it's the willful ones that you do all the time, that you try to ignore. But here's, here, here's, here's the kicker, though, is he says, be, be, because, verse, verse 15, he says, he says, be, because of what Christ has done as a greater sacrifice, as a perfect sacrifice who was unblemished, because of that, he now is our mediator. It, it, it's an intermediary, oh, a go-between. Listen, it says, one who causes or helps parties to come to an agreement with the implication of guaranteeing the certainty of the arrangement. That's what a mediator does. But, but there has to be trust from both parties in the mediator's ability to accomplish securing peace between them. And, and so Jesus, during his sinless life, begins the proceedings. Then God the Father meets us at the negotiating table of the cross where Jesus satisfies the demands in one lump sum payment. And on the other side of the table, we sit in overwhelming gratitude as we watch our debt be erased. But you know the best quality of a great mediator? The, be the best quality of a great mediator is their ability to secure an agreement that will never need to be renegotiated again. Because Jesus' blood obtained an eternal redemption through the eternal spirit, that guarantees an internal inheritance, we can have confidence that we have received an eternal salvation. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus as our mediator. But there's, a, there's an old song that says, the blood that Jesus shed for me, way back on Calvary, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, Guess what? It will never, never lose its power because it reaches to the highest mountains and it flows to the lowest valleys. The blood that gives me strength from day to day says it will never, ever lose its power. And it's because of the blood that Jesus shed and the power of his resurrection that we know we have been secured once and for all time. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross on our behalf in our place as a substitute, that his offering was perfect as he was sinless and unblemished. And because of that, the grave had to spit him out. And he went to the holy place, the most holy place, and entered in through his own blood and sat down at the right hand a father with all power in his hand. And because of that, you have given him a name above every name. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he indeed is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we thank you, O God, today. Help us to live in reality of his sacrifice that was done for us on the cross. Because where would we be without the blood? This we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. in that vein we take time to reflect and remember 
what was accomplished, accomplished on the cross. And so as Jesus sat with his disciples in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which has been broken for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Take, let's eat together. Afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. Blood of a new and everlasting covenant. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Family, we thank you for joining with us today. It was such a joy to be able to worship with you. We pray that you enjoy the rest of your weekend, the rest of your week. We can't wait to see you again next week. And don't forget to register for the Family Fun Day. We're so looking forward to seeing you there. Grace and peace. Love you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.